Hello and welcome to the first official episode of the Belong to the Ages podcast. I am your host, Will Hanneman. Our first official guest for the podcast today is Dr. Joseph Toome. He graduated from Northwestern College in Chicago with an MD and is a urologist at Urology Specialists in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Going into the field of urology, he has had a lot to study about the history of it. Today, we get to hear him go in depth on how physicians treated kidney stones before today's technology. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I think he did too, which should make for an interesting listen. Here we go. But I want to say one thing to the American people. You are listening to Belongs to the Ages podcast. So we have Joe Toom on the line. And Joe Toom, as I already told you, is a urologist at Urology Specialist in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, so, Joe, just kind of give us a background. Uh, what is urology? So, uh, first off, Will, I just want to say it's really a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, very honored you asked to ask me. Um, so, urology is the surgical uh, care of the general urinary system and male reproductive tract. Um, it is a very rewarding field. I love it. Um, but basically, so kidneys, ureters, bladder, prostate, male genitalia, and the female pelvic floor is really the domain of the urologist. Okay. Uh, so then what would be your most common procedure that you perform? Well, one of the things, you know, we do a lot of cancer stuff. We've taken out prostates, kidneys, etc. But probably the thing we do the most is stones. And I think if you look, you know, I know you're uh, looking to talk about history. I think the history of that in urology is quite rich. Yeah. And an interesting tale. Yeah, so I'm from what I've heard, that's quite painful. Uh, oh, absolutely. I've never had it. But so what can you tell me about the history of kidney stones and how they came to right. treat well, it? I think we could kind of talk through kind of the trajectory of the course. But first, we have to kind of define our terms. So kidney stones start in the kidney, mm-hmm. and they can work their way into the ureter, um, which is the tube that drains the kidney. We can also have stones that start in the bladder, and these are usually due to an enlarged prostate. So most of what was discussed in the history books was around the time of Christ, we saw people treating stone disease through what's called a lithotomy. So it involved an incision in between where the, you know, in, in between the, uh, I guess in a male, the testicles and the anus, and that space in between there. Mm-hmm. And it involved getting to the bladder through that approach and basically pulling the stones out. Now, Will, there was about a 25% mortality rate, and those who survived weren't didn't have a great quality of life after that. And uh, what was the... I mean, if you have kidney stones and you don't treat it, your mortality rate is probably 100? Well, it depends. So remember, these were initially done to treat bladder stones. Okay. So bladder stones, though, once again, you know, I think it's always great to, you know, speak to the particular here and there to illustrate historical points. And so Michelangelo, 
you know, the great artist, mm -hmm. he actually suffered from recurrent bladder stones, okay? Now, he, 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 at the end, they say he died from a terminal illness of fluid overload, which could have been from either, you know, his bladder stones, his ureteral stones, ultimately leading to kidney failure. And that led to his, because the kidneys regulate your salts and your fluid management in your body. And so that likely is what he probably died from, if I understand the history correct. Mm -hmm. So is it, I mean, with the difference between a bladder stone and a kidney stone, uh, for the viewers who wouldn't know that, is that... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is that very small? I mean, is it like kind of... Well, no, no, that's a great question. So really, stones in the urinary, urinary tract, they can either start in the kidney, and that's primarily due to the chemical makeup of the urine, okay? Mm-hmm. And the bladder, however, it, it is part of the chemical makeup of the urine, but it's usually due to an enlarged prostate. You probably see commercials on TV about guys' prostates getting bigger as they age. It basically, that obstruction doesn't allow men to empty their bladder all the way, so you get this buildup of urine in the bladder, and it precipitates out uh, as a stone, and ultimately this can lead to obstruction and you know inability to urinate. Okay, so when did people really start making headways with the cure? Not the cure, well, but the treatment. Right. So, you know, with the advent of modern anesthesia, you know, mm -hmm. we were able to, for bladder stones, we were easily able to make incisions into the lower abdomen and pluck out stones through the urinary bladder. And, however, stones in the kidney and ureter really didn't start seeing big headways until the 80s. And uh, one of my mentors actually worked with Christian Chaussey, who in Germany was um, did the major experiments with extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy. And this was, we were able to shoot sound waves at a specific target through the body and break up stones. So this is as minimally invasive as you get, Will. Mm -hmm. There's no cuts. You're not even instrumenting anything. Mm-hmm. And this really changed it from the operation in modern time to being a big flank incision with a tremendous amount of pain yeah, and tremendous amount of morbidity. And now we were able to treat it as a same-day procedure. Well, uh, so I'm guessing that there's been a lot of prominent figures in history that have uh, suffered from kidney stones. Yeah, well, Michelangelo, we've, we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. And there's also... You know, Napoleon Bonaparte, um, they, I've, you know, read that historians discuss what might have happened in the Russian campaign in 1812 if Napoleon had not had a bladder stone. Oh, okay. We see history changing on the drop of a bladder stone, basically. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think in, you know, I don't know too much about the Russian campaign in 1812, <clears throat> but I can tell you this. I don't think there was a urologist on call. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, so tell me a little bit about how you go uh, uh, up with the camera. I didn't know how to word that better. but No, no, that's, that's a great question because, so, you know, like I mentioned in the 80s, we had extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy, which is sound waves, and we still use that today, and patients do very well with that. Depending on stone and patient characteristics and patient preference, Will, mm -hmm. we also will frequently offer what's called ureteroscopy. And that is where we take a camera through the urethra, 
um, into the bladder and then up the ureter, the tube that drains the kidney. And we're able to identify the stone, see it with our, you know, with the aid of uh, telescopic vision, and then we use a laser to fragment the stones. And we also use this to treat certain cancers of the upper urinary tract as well with the laser as well and the camera. And this, you know, came about due to, you know, doctors and um, medical engineers and scientists combined, miniaturizing technology, and it's really allowed us to, you know, leave no area of the urinary tract untrodden by our instrument. Mm-hmm. You said that anesthetics uh, was kind of the start of modern technology for treatment of this. Uh, I mean... The first anesthetic I can think of, you probably know more, but the first one I can think of is chloroform, uh, used in the 1800s, especially uh, by the guy who discovered cholera, John Snow. Uh, so oh, yes. I was wondering, uh, how, how, has, how has the anesthetics uh, kind of evolved throughout the time uh, that have helped kidney stones be treated? Well, I think you'd see a wide variety of progress is what I would see, is, you know, because first I guess you look at what we're, look at pharmacology as a whole, how we're able to provide, you know, good pain control until a patient gets to the operative suite with uh, modern narcotics and uh, anti-inflammatories. And then we also look at the amazing progress that has been made of, if anybody can put somebody to sleep, Will. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but you got to wake them up and you got to wake them up with a good airway, mm-hmm. you know, and a good heart. Mm-hmm. And I think the big advance is, you know, we've always been able to put people to sleep, but for one thing, we can wake them up and get them out of the hospital the same day, no problem. And the other thing is we can take sicker and sicker patients to the OR for the treatment they need. You know, people who have, have awful lungs and, you know, awful heart. And, you know, the anesthesiologists, they don't bat an eye. And that's a really a testament to one of the really impressive and uh, exciting fields in medicine. Yeah. Uh, and kind of going off of that, so what have you seen be big picture things, uh, at least in changes through or in your study of urology over time? Well, I think, you know, it kind of taking a step back, Will, from just looking at stones but looking at our field as a whole i think for one thing you know we now think about more than just extending life in a field we think about quality of life in our research Mm -hmm. and we're looking at not only how do we treat the patient but how do we treat them with minimal morbidity quicker recovery less pain you know all those things and the other thing i think is we're you know we take into account more of the total picture of the patient we know that pain is a poorly understood phenomenon and you know if somebody comes to you with chronic scrotal pain or you know we look at the big picture what are their other stresses in their life and not just so it's kind of implementing other fields of medicine and you know the other thing you know we talk about psychology to patients men who come with erectile dysfunction what else are they going through maybe there's more strife with their partner and it's not just treating the biochemistry or the anatomy like i said it's treating the whole patient well mm-hmm uh, so, and you, you just talked about what's happened over time. All, tell me where you think urology is going. Will we have even better ways to treat stones uh, oh, or think, certain diseases? You know, I think that's a great question. I think where the real, so 
every surgeon is looking to get themselves out of business and that we're always looking for non-operative ways to manage things that can match the efficacy of operative procedures. And I think where we'll probably be headed is, so I think eventually we'll be out of the cancer business because uh, sophisticated medicine will take care of that. And with stones, I think eventually what'll happen, well, it's tough to say because they're so hard. They're just hard as rocks. I, I struggle to think that a medicine will ever come around that can dissolve a stone and keep the neighboring anatomy intact. But, you know, I think it, what, if, if we don't learn anything from history, it's, or if we have learned one thing from history, it's that, you know, never doubt human ingenuity and progress. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joe, uh, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. Uh, oh well, Will. Honestly, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, I really to explore some of these fascinating issues. Yeah, I just hope some uh, some people learned a little bit about human anatomy and uh, what you do over at Urology Specialist. Right, right, absolutely. Happy anytime uh, to talk to you know, the kids here in Sioux Falls. Mhm. Well, hey, thank you. You bet. That is it for today. Thank you all for listening.